just fine Catch you when you fall Be there when you call It's never too much I got you real tall I'm Tania Carr and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Here at Real Talk, we create space for authenticity, awareness and making a positive impact on the world around us. Real talk, real people, real stories. Ngā mahi nui kia koutou katoa, nau mai hoki mai ki te kaupapa kōrero Real Talk. I'm Tania Carr, and today in this episode you are going to hear the real kōrero from Elise New, aka E. Now Elise was one of our very first kai kōrero at our Real Talk event in Pōneke back in 2020, our very first Real Talk. And she took the stage again for us two years later at Real Talk mō ngā rangatahi taitoko live-in. Elise shares with us her highs and her lows through her challenging life journey and how having a strong whānau unit helped her to get through some of the most difficult challenges that life has thrown her way. She shares how being aligned with her passion and working towards her goals, which are all things health and fitness, has led to running her successful functional hit gym in Kapiti. Elise brings such a beautiful energy and inspired so many rangatahi on the night with her ability to see the light at the end of an often dark tunnel. We love you, E, for all that you are and all that you do. Keep being you. Now, it's important to note that there are some triggering subjects in this kōrero, so if you get triggered, there are some support contact numbers in the show notes for you to utilise. Here is Elise's story. Ko rua pē te maunga, ko Aotea te waka, uh, ko Wanganui te awa, ko Ngā Pairangi te hapu, ko Te Ata Haunui a Paparangi te iwi, ko Elise Tokuingwa. But everyone knows me as E. It's me there. So I was part of the very first Real Talk in 2020. Back then I was, I had four children, got five now, eight kilos lighter. <laughs> um, but here we are here, this is my whānau. Is, this is exactly what we are like in real life. My husband's just hanging in there. <laughs> and I'm just doing my absolute best. I mean best. I've got five beautiful children. I've got Kavali. He's down the bottom here. He's my 15-year-old. We've got Koda up the top. He's my second oldest son. He's going to be turning 12 next week. I've got Raven. He's holding our son, our baby boy, Hapakirunga. How old is Raves now? Nine. Then my daughter Quincy, she is six, turning 16. And that's our Pipi, Hapakirunga, he's five months old. So that's my whanau. I um, am married to a really spunky man on the far right with his hand, palm in his hand. Truly does, really does love us. And our surname is New, um, pronounced New as in new pair of shoes. Um, so my husband is part Māori, part Tongan. So New is the Tongan word for coconut. So basically my name in English is Elise Coconut, so you won't ever forget my name now. All right. So let's get into some real talk, but um, let's give you, I'll just give you a little bit of an idea of what I do. I am... That's us too. That was me pre, that was, we renewed our wedding vows a few years back in Kapiti. So I live in Waikanae and I have a business in Paraparaumu. 
This is my business here, Functional Hit NZ. I run group training, um, group trainings. Um, so it's a facility for just group training. We do offer personal training and things like that. Uh, moving ahead, there's our, there's our crew. Lots of different faces and happy faces, but this is what I love to do. I love to train people, coach people. I also do online training, PT, nutrition, nutrition. Moving forward. Oh, yeah, this is um, what we did in lockdown. So I did a whole bunch of um, live free workouts while we were in lockdown, just for anyone who found me on Facebook. And every day I would run a training session. Okay, so let's go back to the early days. I am a product of a teenage one-night stand. This is my beautiful mama here and me at the beach in Wanganui. I think that's Kaiui Beach. I had a hard-working mama. When she had me, she went back to her hairdressing apprenticeship. And while my grandparents did a lot of the looking after me as a peepee, so I was surrounded with my beautiful grandparents, my nan and koro on my mother's side. I also have my papa and my nan on my biological father, the one night stand who stayed in my life. And then also I have a dad that raised me. His parents, my grandma and granddad were all very much involved in my life. So that's, that was awesome. The first 10 years of my life, I lived in Wanganui and growing up, I was a very, very, very active child. So I loved sports. I loved, loved anything which was physical activity. So I participated in sports like netball, touch footy. Back then it was called new image rugby, swimming, triathlons, cricket, whatever it was that was, that provided an, like an outburst of energy. That was me. In school, my, in mainstream education, school had me as a below, 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 below average student where I, I severely was behind in reading, writing, mathematics. And so what I had to do as a, as a young girl, I had to do what every child would hate and that was to do more learning and school after school. So I was part of a, uh, educational program for young ones, which was called Spelled. And it was an educational program for children with autism and difficult, uh, learning difficulties. But my school reports all said the same thing. And that was that she, Elisa is a really great student. However, she lacks in concentration, is very easily distracted, but excels in physical activity. And that same report or those same statements and words were followed through into my college years as well. Oh, there, I, there I am. So that's me as a young girl. I grew up in Wanganui, so that's uh, my St. Mary's primary school photo. And that's me having a few beers at the back of the house there. Yeah. Oh, yep. Okay, so moving on. So I met the love of my life in 2002. I was 18 years old. Uh, both my husband and I, we met at an NZ under-21s touch camp. Yeah, back in the day. The touch camp we had was at Hatapolda College. And I remember, I remember Ray actually arrived at camp a day late. We were already out on the field training. And because he lived in Australia, lived in Sydney at the time, so he flew over for camp. And I remember him getting out of the car and I just... I literally was like, oh, wow, I got my thrills and I saw him. <laughs> and I just remember, 
I, I also, I forgot to mention that I also had like three other boyfriends at the same time, but um, <laughs> I won't mess out that one. So there wasn't much touching going on with me and my husband at the time, but yeah, I distributed around North Island, so one in Otaki, one in Porirua, and then one in the hut. So I was a really busy girl, <laughs> so busy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember there was something different about Ray. And when I saw him, I, yeah, I just knew, I just knew he was special. So I remember nudging my best friend, uh, Cornell Grant. She lives up in Waikato. I remember like doing the, these ones and I said to her, you know what? She's like, what? And I was like, that guy over there, I'm going to, I'm going to marry him and have all his babies. And, um, well, I did. So I see, I always say that's manifestation um, at its finest. And so when, when the camp had finished, obviously reached out and flicked him a text and was like, hi. And, and from there and onwards, we sort of got, got quite friendly. And um, then I had to go and dump all the other boyfriends and, and made him my number one. <laughs> uh, don't hate the player. <laughs> hate the game. <laughs> so in 2005, we had our first child, which was Kavali. And then we moved over to... No, sorry, sorry. In 2000, I knew I was going to do this. That's why I've got my notes here because I'm sleep deprived and I knew I'd, I'd get some like, dates wrong. But we moved to Aussie in 2005. We had our first child, Kavali, in 2007. And then I became a full-time mum. We got married over in Australia in 2009 and I gave birth to our second son, Coda, in 2010, then our youngest son in 2013. Life was good and Ray and I continued to play touch footy over in Aussie together. We'd go over to all the tournaments and we would, you know, we had some really good friends over there. Yeah, life was magic. Like I was in love. I was marrying the man of my dreams. You know, he'd still get me with that cookie, stick back and long ball. And I'd be like, that's my man. But yeah, so I was at home looking after our babies while my husband worked. Ray, if I refer him to Papa, that's what I call him. So I'll just refer him to Papa. While Papa worked in the oil refineries. And he would sometimes do fly in and fly outs, which meant that for a period of time, I'd be home with the kids on my own. And he would, he would be doing mahi wherever the oil refinery was that he was working on. And this, this worked quite, this worked quite well for, for some time, but just meant that I was having to do everything, but it also gave me a lot of skills in business. So, when I look at those days back then, becoming a mum was helping me attain some real, real serious boss mama skills. So for example, as mothers, we have the insane ability to organise and to lead, to have initiative, to read a situation, respond accordingly, to create magic. And of course, this leads to inspiration for our children. We also are able to handle rejection because I don't know how many times my kids say no to me multiple not even that hundreds of times a day and be able to negotiate to get something done. Now those are all skills that I've been able to attain as a mum and I don't, I have a couple of business now. I haven't done any kind of study or training, but I learnt all these skills just being at home for nine years with my children. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd, thought I'd let you guys know that if there's any mummers here who are staying at home with their, staying at home with their children. So. In 2015, I was then given the biggest test of my life, the biggest test of my resilience. My husband, the man that I fell in love with, that sharp touch footy player, that quick lightning brown, delicious chocolate thunder, he became a 
drug addict and was using P, also known as methamphetamine, crack. We know all the words for it. So not in a million years would I have ever expected this to actually happen to me because for many years we'd raised children, we were happy, we were living the dream, we were active. So that year as I slowly lost my husband, I was noticing things that were really out of character. I was questioning his moods, his whereabouts, his lack of emotion, causing strife and arguments amongst the both of us. We went from a really reasonably happy home to one that wasn't. He became real short with the kids. That was the first thing because he was such a lovable, lovable chap, you know, a great father. But I just started noticing this fuse that was really short with our, with our, our boys. Um, he no longer wanted to see our friends, so he didn't want to socialize, which was unheard of because I'm the social butterfly and he'd always be my, my wingman. So we would go together to things see friends and whānau around Australia, where we that's where we were living. Uh, he woke up late, or he'd sleep all hours of the day, like a vampire, up at night, sleep during the day. He'd always be on his phone. He would go to work late, come home late, and then he became verbally abusive and physically abusive to myself and to our children. So then at that time, throughout that year, I became lost. My, and my own self-worthy really started to crumble. I became anxious for the first time in my life. Because not even, you know, not being great at school, being able to read, that didn't even bother me. Because when it hit playtime, I was running around. It didn't matter to me. But this was, the, this was different. This really hit me in a different, different way. Um, I became anxious. I started to question myself if I was going crazy, if I was the problem, if I was causing the issues. I felt like I'd lost my best friend and my family was falling apart. Now, it took a while, but finally the truth came out. And Ray, he didn't come and tell me I'm, I'm using. I had to find it one night. He could no longer lie about using the drugs or be in denial, yet he, he found a way to lie about something. He had gone from my loving husband, my best friend, great dad, to this man filled with rage, hurt, and denial. And then I later found out that he'd gone and got a personal loan and a credit card, and we were in tens of thousands of dollars in debt, gambling debt, drug debt. I didn't even know who this who he owed money to. I haven't told this part, but I did find when I was in Sydney, I haven't said this part before, but when I found out this person that was encouraging was part of it, I, re- I remember visiting this person. You know, like, you know, you know when you know who you are and you know you've got the protection of your atua, so you have no fear of taking on anyone. I know it's bad, but I did that day. I felt my, my tupuna just around me, and I remember I, thre- I threatened this man, stay away from my husband, or I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> At that time, I was desperate, desperate for my family back, so I put myself in a, in a situation that may have not turned out so great for me, but I think that what was inside of me was this 
yearning to want to get my husband back because I knew he wasn't this man. Because no one actually wakes up one day and goes, okay, I'm going to wake up and I decide to be a drug addict. They, you, no one does that. No one wants that for themselves. So there was, there would have been a reason for that. Not that I'm blaming it on the person who was encouraging it or doing it with him, but he was just, you are who your environment is. So I had to tell this fella to to fuck off. <laughs> so we had so many fights that whole year, man. Like, do you know when I first met my husband, we like didn't fight for the first two years of our relationship. Like that's unknown of. That's because I knew I'd found my soulmate, my my man, the you know, the he was everything. So you know, that first kind of niggly fight was like, honestly, was about two years into our relationship. So we went from that to to fighting most nights. We had the police call on us quite a, quite a couple of times. Now, my children started to fear their father, and then they could also pick up my anxious, anxiousness, especially my oldest boy, um, who's now 15. And I knew this was not healthy. This was not a good place to be. So I had no choice. In December, early December, I decided, December of that year, 2015, I decided to call my mum and say, Mum, I need to come home back to the Carpsey Coast. So on my son's very last day of kura, or school over in Aussie, I had already packed him and his brother's clothes and suitcases and on his last day of school, because it was coming up to the Christmas school holidays, I picked him up and I kneeled down. I gave him a little cuddle and I said, "Son, can you can you go and um, can you go and say goodbye to your friends?" He said, "Why?" I said, "Because um, you're going to go and stay with Nanny, and Mama is going to come after. I just need to tidy up our fuddy, get everything sorted." So that was one of the hardest days of my life. I had to put my pride and oh, can you hear me? I had to put my pride and joy on a plane back to Aotearoa, back home, without me. And like I said, I'd been a stay-at-home mum for years. They were everything. I didn't go a day without them. This is the first time being apart. And I remember this moment clearly because this is this is definitely the moment that changed everything for me was the air hostess had got up and grabbed my, my boys. And at Sydney Airport, you have this, they've got the food court, and on the other side, you have like a glass window that separates you and the passengers who are going to their gates. And I remember the air hostess walking past and my sons, and I'd come up to the window to wave to them. And as my boys slowly walked behind the air hostess, my middle son, Coda, stopped and he walked up to the window where I was standing and he stuck his hand up onto that window. And so I stuck my hand back up on that window too, just up against his hand. And then the other two boys came over to the window and they stuck their hands on there. So I was trying to, to hand them all and then it ended up like with my face up on the, on the window. But I remember that moment was the most heartbreakingest moment of my life. So he was nodding his head like, no, I don't want to go. So I had to encourage, we, I'll be, I'll be there, I won't be long. Give mama a couple of weeks. But I also have found out too that I was pregnant with my fourth, with our fourth. So it was also that moment of, I need to get my boys home, I need to get home. We were going to be happy, safe, and we'll work things out. That moment has never really left me. 
it was a few weeks out from Christmas and I knew I wouldn't have my kids, but instead I had my fried up husband. That's what I got written there. So I gave Ray the choice. He either come with me and we go home and we get some help. He will get clean or he stays in Sydney where I think he would probably have ended up dead. So in the early stages of moving home and helping Ray overcome his addictions, we lived with my parents and our bedroom was in the basement of the family home. This was the home for us for the next 15 months and where Ray would fight his addictions and us as a family support him and love him through this. It wasn't always easy because I felt like everybody had forgiven him and I was also I was still trying because I had lived through things that I didn't even speak to my family about and it wasn't until 2020 where my mum sat at the front row to listen to me had she heard this story. She knew Ray had some issues but she had no idea what, what her daughter was going through. I have felt that everyone, like I said, had forgiven him but I wasn't and I do know that I needed to build up my mental and spiritual health. I had been badly affected by the 12-month ordeal and to and to send my home, my boys home to NZ. As soon as I came home, I felt I needed to do something for me as well, have an escape from the reality that I was living in that reality. Let's be truthful here. I was 32 years old. I had moved home back to my parents' house in a, my small town that I never wanted to come home to. Living there with my three sons, my drug-addicted husband, pregnant with my fourth and I thought, wow, how did I, how did I even get there? How did I even get here? So I, I needed to bring positivity back into my life. I really needed to do something that was going to change, change my thoughts on what, where I was currently at. So one night in my basement bedroom, I put pen and paper together and I thought, what am I good at? I'm, I'm awesome. I'm a qualified personal trainer. What do I want to do? I want to train people. I want to make them feel happy. I want to make them feel that they belong. I want to create this awesome place where everyone's like high-fiving and we're listening to Gangster Rap like Tupac and Snoop Dogg. Like, you know, I want that. I want to be lifting barbells, throwing around some kettlebells, and I want people to reap the rewards of physical fitness because that's going to help, help with their mental health. And I want people to come and not feel judged. So that's what I did, and that's how Functional Hit was created, my gym. Yeah, so I wanted it to be all-inclusive, where friendships were made. It took one year, one whole year for Ray to actually find the courage, I guess, to step out of his own comfort zone um, and join me at my gym and meet all my functional hit whanau. And what had happened there, I started... I started renting a small space um, from 318 Gym, the bro at the back here who won the gym membership. I started my business there at that gym. I didn't even organize that prize either, so that's really cool you got that. So yeah, I started there. I rented out a small space um, in their functional area, and I ran group fitness and boot camps, and from there it just grew. Within 24 months, I was able to open up my, my own gym, my own facility. After that, I had an opportunity in 2017 to be on Māori television, and I was on a reality TV show called School of Training, um, and that, there, again, more doors started to open. From that television show, I was able to, it was really weird, one day I was talking to a PR woman, and she was 
you know, kind of asking questions. I was like, oh, yeah, because I had to live with my mum because we had nowhere to go because we were broke, had no money, so much, so tens and thousands of dollars in debt. Oh, why were you there? I was like, oh, because my husband was, you know, on crack and gambling and stuff like that over in Aussie. So, um, yeah, that's why we're living. She I didn't know that. Can you tell me a little bit more from there? She just was like, wow, this is a story. I didn't realize that it was a story until she told me it was and that how many people would actually relate to something like this. I didn't actually know until I had told that story and it had gone on um, Now the Love magazine and then onto Women's Day magazine where that's our, we decided to share our story. And still to this day, we get a lot of people message and, message and say that they're in the exact same position with their partner. Or we had a few people message Ray and be like, hey, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm fucking up my family and I need help. How did you do it? At the end of the day, like when I say, how did we do it? We did it with love. Like I said, I had to continue to love the unlovable at that time. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I stuck out with it because it's Kavali. Oh yeah, that's our wedding day in Cronulla. And then here is my husband today. He is drug free. So we flew back into New Zealand on January the 8th, 2016. That was the last day he touched drugs was when he came back to Aotearoa. And he's five years alcohol free, so no drinking either. So I always have a sober driver and that's great. <laughs> and he... He went on to do a drain laying apprentice apprenticeship. He's now a full-time qualified drain layer for a Fano business, Māori-owned um, business called Mills Albert Limited. And there's me in my gym. <laughs> all I'm going to say, just to tie it all up, is that as much as that time in my life was a real shitty time, I believe, oh, well, I wouldn't be here today with you guys. I wouldn't have moved back to New Zealand. I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have my gym. I know I wouldn't. That, that was meant to be here and at home to be, to be done. So with the pressure of my life building up at that time, six years ago, I really, I really do believe it was a privilege because it's an actual privilege to be standing here in front of you today and talking. And I wouldn't have I wouldn't have this right now without that. So I'm not going to, I don't know, I didn't even have like an idea because I've got a book that I have written a special little message in. Is there anyone here that's got a little bit of pressure at the moment? Just took your hands up. Yeah, yeah, cool. I've got a little note in here for you. Here's a book, but it's a special book because there's a note in there from me. So yeah, there's if you're suffering in a little bit of pressure... That's all right. Um, just um, have a little read of that, and that hopefully will help. Precious, pressure is a privilege. And so without the pressure of my life, I wouldn't be standing here today. So thank you very much. And I've totally gone over time. Sorry, Tans. <laughs> okay, thank you. Real Talk could be coming to a town near you, so check out the Real Talk website, www.realtalknz.co.nz or follow us on our Instagram at real underscore talk underscore nz to find out where we'll be next. I got you real talk.